Hey guys, how are we doing? It's Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. Thank you for tuning in for another week, another edition of podcasty, motorsporty, gibberish, greatness. <laughs> Hope you're all well. I'm still kind of adjusting to doing um, evening recordings and all that. I've actually gone to the extreme lengths. Here I am, 20 to 8 on a Wednesday night, having a shot of espresso. No, I'm not going to be up all night, you know, usually do conk out <laughs> um, at the usual bedtime, you know, kind of 11, 12 p.m., but yeah, it was much needed today, kind of dozed off um, at work as well and on the way home from work, which, you know, can be a bit dangerous if you're on the, <laughs> if you're on the trade and you just decide to fall asleep and miss your station, but anyway, let's, um, let's get right to it, uh, a lot to talk about around Formula One, supercars as well, we're just, you know, everything crammed all together, it means we've got plenty of action at the moment, and um, wouldn't have it any other way, but gotta say, I am kind of excited to have a bit of a break from F1 this weekend, three weeks in a row again, you know, six races we've had in seven weeks, which is incredible, I can't imagine how the teams and the drivers would be feeling, you know, all the all the crews and everyone who's been working really hard, um, on on the you know at the track and everything so you know someone like me or you know the rest of us who just have to wake up and watch the race at home or you know record a podcast write an article something like that you know it pales in comparison to what those guys have to do so kudos to all of them and um their efforts to get the season back up and running or to get it started in the first place and we've already you know basically a third of the way through the championship um in seven weeks so without further ado Spanish Grand Prix, and yeah, i got to say, first of all, I guess I was caught with my pants down a little bit um, over the prospect of having an open race, and even during the race when there was um, there was talk about rain coming and everything, it didn't really, every time, you know, they, they repeatedly say, oh, rain's coming, rain's coming, you know it's not going to come, it's going to probably come after the race, or just misses the circuit entirely, you know, it has, it's got to start, the race has got to start with it raining for, for us to believe that it's going to be a rain-affected race, so basically, yeah, thought thought about all that and said oh you know in the predictions and everything that we might have an open race we might have Max Verstappen challenging and all that sort of stuff but you know in reality it wasn't the case it was pretty much all over at turn one um, as the case is sometimes that um, or most of the time actually in Barcelona it's just a track that doesn't really allow or promote good racing and it probably has something to do with the these cars you know with the downforce that they carry and everything like that so maybe when when they do switch switch over to ground effect cars in 2022 it might make a difference if Barcelona's on the calendar still at that point I know a lot of people are baying for blood at the moment um for the blood of Barcelona um circuit Barcelona Catalonia I love it you know MotoGP it's fantastic you know but again what works for MotoGP doesn't work for for F1 um and just you know when you play it on the video games as well it's it's totally different and it's a bit more entertaining but that's video games for you (laughs) it's not reality but anyway let's let's talk about the race um it was hard you know to look past Mercedes in the form that they have at the moment uh for them to take the win you know it was by the off chance if they struggle with their tyres again in those high temperatures that we would have counted Max Verstappen in for contention, but Lewis Hamilton, you know, he was peerless again, converting from pole position, managed those tyres as well, you know, to the point even that for the second stop, he decided to make his own call on what tyre he wanted to go on. He was up to date with what was going on with Valtteri Bottas, who again had a uh, had a bit of a shocking race, which I'll get to in a sec, but um, Hamilton saw Bottas was on the soft tyre, saw that he was struggling. He's like, nah, can you let me stay out for another lap and get those medium tyres ready? I'm going to come in and take those medium tyres. And in the end, he comes in for the mediums on the second stint and still finishes, you know, 15 seconds or something up the road ahead of Max Verstappen. Yes, Max Verstappen in second. Um, and incredibly, he lapped every car up to fourth, you know. So just one of those races where Lewis was just in a class of his own. He even said after the race that 
he for, he didn't even know it was the final lap. He just you know was in one of those trance like states that he just wanted to keep going and going. And you know I'm sure it wouldn't have been the case if his tyres didn't go all the way. But um, fear you know faultless drive peerless drive you know seemed to be waxing lyrical about Lewis a lot at the moment but you know it's hard to fault him you know given all the other stuff that he's doing as well off the track you know the awareness for for ending racism Black Lives Matter you know his stance on environmentalism as well sustainability it's hard not to if you share the same kind of views it's hard not to to get behind him and you know being in a position that he is as a as a powerful athlete to bring light to these issues so you know i know i've talked about it a lot um in the last you know even uh 12 months on this podcast but you know it's it's important to keep spreading that message and to keep repeating it because as we we said a few weeks ago when when f1 got you know, hold of the end racism and we race as one message. It was about, you know, whether they can sustain doing this uh, long term. Uh, it's not going to die a slow death, as um, Hamilton himself described. So, yeah, you know, faultless drive again, 88th career victory. You know, he's only three wins away now from equaling Schumacher. And you think with the form that he's in at the moment, that's going to be. A bit of a cinch, you know. What, what what's the net? What's in three races time? We go Spa, we go Monza, and then uh, Mugello, which you know is supposed to be the Ferrari 1000th Grand Prix. But you know that could be the race that we celebrate as Lewis Hamilton equaling uh, the great Michael Schumacher's record of wins. He did a um, not equal. He did break Schumacher's record of all-time career podiums with his 156th podium this weekend. So you know Lewis has ticked that off as well. That record, he's you know got the world championships pretty much done and dusted you could say or you know he's gonna get that seventh this year with the way he's going and then yeah the the 91 wins as well seems just around the corner so what happened then to Valtteri Bottas well it all went wrong from him it all went wrong for him (laughs) on the start sorry just having a sip of coffee there um a bit strong just the way I like it. <laughs> um, Bottas compromised on the start there. He It just all went wrong for him there. Ended up getting swamped by Verstappen and then Lance Stroll as well going into turn one. So the racing points that again qualified really well and um, threatened in that early part of the race for the top three. But, you know, Bottas was able to get past Stroll not too long after, but then Max by that point was already out of reach, given all the tyre management that was going on. Um, and then, as I said earlier, the gamble on the second in the second stint on the soft tyre failed as well for Mercedes and for Bottas. So that basically, you know, by the time he actually did catch up to Max, it was already you know lap sixty. You know, four or something like that. You know, we were saying throughout the race, or I was certainly saying during the live blog for the race that, you know, why isn't he pushing? He's on these soft tyres. He should be able to push if he wants to take second. It's it's got to be now, or otherwise he'll run out of laps. But little did we know that he was actually struggling on that compound and um, coming in on the penultimate lap actually to switch over to the medium tyres. So yeah, three stops for Bottas on this occasion, but um, he was able to take the uh, fastest lap with those um, new set of medium tyres. So an extra championship point there for him. In the grand scheme of things, is that really going to make a difference? Well, given the deficit at the moment, it is. It's looking pretty unlikely, but you know, a bit of a bit of gratification there for him um, for faster slap. But I'm sure you know. Well, you could see it on his face underneath the mask um, in the post-race interview with Brundle that yeah, it was just he was not happy. He was not satisfied with himself. And again, it's just that thing about. He comes. He came. He came out in the first race in Austria. He had such a great race. He was, um, you know, Bottas 3.0 or whatever version of him were up to. Uh, he had his porridge and all that, but just, you know, quickly just drops off. And I know it's not easy when you have Lewis Hamilton as your teammate, but at least take the fight to him, or you know, just don't make these mistakes. And it's. A couple of mistakes that he's made on his own in Bottas that has really cost him so far this championship. So I don't think 
if the current trajectory continues that he will be a championship contender for much longer neither will you know anyone else I mean I'd said a week and <laughs> this is me going back on what I said a week ago saying oh you know if these tire issues continue then we might even see Max Verstappen sneak in but you know Mercedes just seem to pull the rabbit out of the hat when the chips are down or the cards are down and seem to be able to find a way to work around these issues and they've got another issue they've got to work their way around um heading into the next race and that's the ban on party modes for the engines so FIA decide to ban those um for the next race and for races onwards um you know obviously if you're not familiar with how power unit works in formula one well you know they've reached such a level of development and um, they're so advanced now that you know you can actually switch between modes on the engine to give you more power or less power you know some modes you know allow for a big boost in qualifying you know so you know full power and all that quality mode or or when you know Lewis used to talk about doing sexy laps back in I think 2015 or whatever or you know party time that's what they're referring to is when they turn up those engines to to v max very max um in that instance so they're bounding that as a quote-unquote <laughs> Hamilton saying you know as a way to clip their wings perhaps you know yeah just to even out the competition but you know given that Mercedes have a great car in all other departments and their power unit without party modes is still the most reliable still the most bullet bulletproof most reliable still the most powerful as well it might not you know mean that it puts them behind anyone maybe it might hurt their customer team such as racing point and, and williams who've made gains this season but as far as for the as far as the factory mercedes team is concerned i don't think it's really going to make much of a difference so you know it might help someone like a ferrari who who have lost all that engine performance because of what happened with their um so-called illegal power unit last year might help Honda even though they've got you know part, uh, kind of a party mode on their power unit now and you know Renault as well who still struggling power wise on their um four cars I guess with McLaren involved too so we'll just have to wait and see come um come spa and especially in qualifying what the what the deficits and what the gaps are um but you know given that spa is such a long circuit as well seven kilometers you know, there are, the gaps at that track are normally a bit longer or a bit wider than you would see somewhere at, a, like, you know, a Barcelona where it's, you know, a minute 14 lap in qualifying, which they were setting over the weekend. So, yeah, you know, we'll wait to see Spa-Monza what the true impact of that is, but I don't think it's going to really affect Mercedes one iota because they still have the best car in all other departments and that and that's what matters. So, yeah, <laughs> I can tick that one off. I was going to talk about that at the end of this little... Um, review for the Spanish Grand Prix but you, we've already addressed it um so yeah Bottas ends up ends up pitting fastest lap gets third in the end and just hats off to Red Bull you know they you know Max Verstappen was being his usual uh joyous self on the team radio um he's just you know it's it's Max you know you, you just listen to him now don't you he's he's only what 22 years old and um just you know he's like it's like he's been there for for ages you know he's one of those established drivers race winners you know world champions even though if he's not quite a world champion yet he will be someday um but good on them for getting in between the two mercs and beating one of the mercs too so um that helps Verstappen in the championship standings he's six points up on Bottas now um and at the way things are going, I guess with Bottas's form, you know he couldn't even couldn't even finish second best in the in the best car. So a bit concerning on that. Um, and he, we already know that he's been re-signed for next year to to stay on for another season at Mercedes. But um, yeah, what are we going to say? But you know, good result for Max nonetheless. Though it wasn't. Um, such smooth sailing, I guess, on Alex Salbon's side of the garage. You know, they went for a hard tyre gamble in the second stint. Didn't quite work out. They pitted him very early as well, which was, um, you know, I guess that's what they were hoping for the for the gamble to, to work. But, you know, I don't know what um, what the strategists were smoking, <laughs> were smoking on the um, on the Red Bull pit wall that day for, for Albon, but um, whatever it is, you know, hook us up. <laughs> um yeah, so Albon ended up in a lot of traffic, ended up struggling in that traffic, and it 
basically took a, another stop. You know, if they were hoping to for him to do a one-stop race to the end on those hard tyres, they had to get him off there, get him out of the traffic, and as a result, he was able to come back, finish P8. Um, and again, you know, it's it's not really coming from Red Bull internally at the moment. It's all seems to be a bit of media hype around Albon's seat at Red Bull, his position at Red Bull. Personally, I think it's just un you know it's not really the right thing to do to to turf him at this point. You know, you did that with Gasly last year. You've done that with Kvyat, but that was another story back in 2016. But with with you don't want to repeat the Gasly thing, and you know anyone who's saying at the moment that oh, you know, you should put Gasly back in the Red Bull, seeing as he's doing so well. Well, I've you know repeatedly said it that I reckon Gasly's doing well because of the less less pressure that he's under at AlphaTauri at the moment. Um, also, that car seems to be a lot more um, comfortable to drive for someone like Gasly. I mean, Albon as well last year when he was at, Alpha, uh, at Toro Rosso, sorry, was doing pretty well in there. And then, you know, the first few races at Red Bull, he, you know, didn't qualify so well, but he raced really well. He's, you know, come back to finish fourth and everything. So, you know, I think just a bit of time and a bit of faith as well, you know, Albon, smart guy, absolutely, you know, but we know that Max is the leader within the team, but I think Albon's got to be, you know, get his foot in there and as well and get his feedback across and say, look, you know, if you if you want me to be achieving X, then you've got to kind of give me Y as well. Um, you know, you've got to set it up for me like this, something like that. It's kind of like, you know, the way I see Valentino Rossi at the moment at Yamaha, you know, with... Yamaha pretty much all around um, Maverick Vinales and Fabio Quattararo. Um, Rossi, you know, that podium that he got at Jerez a couple of weeks ago, basically he credited down to, you know, Yamaha listening to him for how he wanted to set up the bike. No, he didn't want to go down the path that his teammates are on. He wanted to do it the way he wanted to. And, you know, this is, you know, I guess it's a bit different between a nine times world champion greatest of all time and uh you know driver in his sophomore year um in Alex Albon so but I guess the philosophy is still the same you know you should you know value that feedback that you're getting from the other driver because ultimately he wants to be there he wants to be at Red Bull he wants to get the results you know he's not there to finish fourth or fifth or eighth or wherever he finished in this race he wants to be able to finish on the podium and I guess so so short is some people's memories that you forget that in the first race of the year this year he was he could have been out for the win you know he could have been in contention for the win um he would have had a podium guaranteed if it wasn't for that contact with Hamilton again so you know it's not like he's just been mediocre the whole time or I wouldn't even say he's mediocre it's got nothing to do with him at all I think it just the team from the team side he's got to get a bit confidence and um, we'll see the best of him come out sooner rather than later and I really hope that because he's a, he's a great guy and um, great driver you know <laughs> so it would be rather cruel if they were to um, swing the axe on him and uh, yeah where what other options is that leave him I don't know well, well that's a story for another time but um good on you know speaking of Pierre Gasly stellar result again um to finish in the points um good result you know he just yeah been ultra consistent this year and again I think it's down to the fact that um just not having that pressure that uh, he would have had at Red Bull you know, Danny Kvyat's been in the points, you know, a couple of times this year, but, you know, not as consistently as Pierre Gasly. You know, Kvyat's had his own issues, which has been unfortunate, but, um, you know, it is what it is at the moment. They're both scoring points either in one race or the other, so that's good for Alpha Tauri. Hopefully, you know, they can be, get a bit more consistent later on in the season. Um... But yeah, you know, good good result for them. <laughs> you know, I've skipped down to Pierre Gasly finishing in P9, and I totally forgot about what happened in the middle of the um, the middle of the midfield. You know, with the points and everything. So, you know, looking at racing point, basically they went for split strategies in the race. It was good to have Sergio Perez back as well. I know a lot of people were kind of like, but we love Nico Hulkenberg. You know, all the love for Hulk was great too. But you know, Perez kind of the forgotten man in this, and it was good of him as well to come out um, before. 
uh, the weekend and do an interview, I think, for F1, the F1 website um, and address all those rumours going around about, you know, him, you know, breaching uh, isolation and quarantine and all that. And that's how he contracted COVID and ended up with a positive COVID test ahead of the British Grand Prix. Um and I thought he handled that really well. He, you know, basically shut down those rumours and everything and um, all the, the rubbish that was coming out of um, some people. And, you know, you, social media is a, is a you know, scrap heap at the be- you know, best of times. Um, basically got to dig through there to find all the gems and everything. But, um, you know, just people with no, what do you call it, no, like no backing or no proof or no evidence coming out and making these claims against him and um poor driver he's the one who ended up contracting the virus you know and thank goodness he didn't it wasn't anything worse (laughs) as we know that this can be quite a deadly thing as he addressed too so it ended up being he and he said it himself that could have been the um the chef you know the private chef that he has uh, he believes that he contracted it from him so you know at least they were, were able to trace it back in the end and good to see Checo back I was happy to see him back even though I do love the Hulk as well and um, hope to see him back in the paddock sometime soon so back to their race um, they went split strategies on both cars they put Checo on a one stop because you know how good Checo is with managing tyres ended up P4 though was given a five-second penalty in the middle of the race for ignoring blue flags. It wasn't an in, it was an incident that we didn't see either, and it was kind of came as a bit of a surprise to everyone, um, and even to Checo as well. And I can't even explain, you know, what properly happened. So, a bit unfortunate that he ended up um, having to take that penalty, but it didn't come as a loss to Racing Point because. Behind him in fifth was Lance Stroll. Um, He did a two-stop strategy, and essentially it was just a position swap. Essentially it was a position swap, so, you know, that five-second penalty um, meant that Checo finished in fifth. Uh, Stroll was up to fourth, so good race for those guys again, you know, making up for those points that they lost um, in the... the, the protest from Renault you know, that um, they gave out the results in the last race. And we didn't really hear too much about that this weekend either, which was kind of good. You know, we didn't want that to be a distraction again. Um, not much that can happen, actually, as a result of this, you know, given that the FIA have ruled that, you know, even though, yeah, the front brakes are not legal in this instance, we can't really get them to change it at this point in the season. So, you know, otherwise you have to basically bring a whole new front end to your car and that just ruins the whole pink Mercedes philosophy, doesn't it? So, yeah, and no, I don't think they're a team that has the money to essentially do that either, given that they do run on la- rather a lean budget and have done successfully for quite a few years. So, good result for them again, fourth and fifth, um... Behind was Carlos Sainz equaling his home best result at um, you know best result at home with uh, P6 double points for McLaren I guess after the disappointment at the 70th anniversary Grand Prix Lando Norris jagging a point in the end in P10 but it's still crucial points especially on a weekend that um, Renault had it very tough and it was I guess not really good. Um, a good first impression when you have your brand new CEO as well, you know, the CEO of the Renault Group, um, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but um, it's not Carlos Ghosn, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I wonder if any of you have kept up to date or, you know, uh, followed that story over the off-season, the madness going on with, with old Charlie Goon. <laughs> <laughs> getting arrested in Japan and then, you know, getting breaking out of prison or something and being flown out of the country in a box, something like that. It's it's the stuff of, you know, some kind of um, espionage movie or whatever. I want them to, you know, they should make a TV show about it, I think. Uh, I'm sure Netflix or Amazon will jump on the, um, <laughs> jump on the rights for that one. But um, yeah, you know, not a good impression for the new Renault CEO, but from all accounts, he is pretty keen on the F1 program. He He's the one who basically went to the government or the French government to say, look, you know, we're keen to continue doing this. This is how we're going to do it. 
give us some money and you know that's why Renault stay committed to F1 um, and for the foreseeable future and yeah getting a big name like Fernando Alonso to come back as well so but that's Renault's stories that's all for another time let's not get too carried away um, Science ended up uh, you know they ended up changing his chassis as well over the weekend gave him a new power unit because of some cooling issues that they found on that car um, so basically you know with that all addressed and they found the issue and rectified it he was able to have a good race so you know a bit of a contra strategy that they run you know they start on the soft tires swapped for the soft tires again in the first stop and then onto the mediums which meant that he was able to stay competitive throughout the race he didn't really have to do much management he had the better grip at all times so he had no difficulty when it came to racing you know the ferraris and you know renaults and whatnot in the um bottom half of the points so you know good result for him and then lando norris you know p10 um i guess the 70th anniversary race was not the greatest for McLaren as a whole, so he would have been buoyed by getting P10, especially battling guys like Charles Leclerc, then, you know, last uh, lap challenge from Daniel Ricciardo, not last nap challenges I've written in my notes because, you know, clearly I feel like a nap. <laughs> oh, it's all going, no, it's not all going wrong. It's, you know, things things are looking good. Um, but yeah, last lap challenge from Daniel Ricciardo there on Lando Norris, but um, Lando ended up finishing in that 10th place to get that point ferrari you know one of my mates and a listener of the show did ask me um you know can you talk at length about ferrari on the on this week's show and i'm you know tentatively i said yes you know i don't want to give them too much air given you could do a whole podcast about ferrari in their struggles at the moment but um if you're listening there patrick i hope um the following is enough to to satisfy you. <laughs> um, so yeah, Leclerc, you know, battling with Lando Norris, and he was, you know, on the fringes of the points throughout the race, and then unfortunately, just you know, power cuts out on him. Um, power to the power unit cuts out on him um, going into that last chicane, and basically finds himself in a spin. He's able to get the car back up and running, but ends up in the pits. Some issue with his seat belt or whatever, um, and ended up spending a whole bunch of time in the pits. And then eventually they say, yeah, let's just retire the car um but yeah Leclerc overall this season he's been the shining light for Ferrari he's been on the podium a couple of times already he finished p4 on the last race had the one-stop strategy he won that way um and he's just generally been a lot more positive all things considered at Ferrari at the moment and um you know you can really see that maturity I mean we saw that maturity from him last year anyway um look back to Bahrain when he could have won the race second what would have been his second race for ferrari um but yeah this year you know it's it's going to be a real character building year for someone like leclerc who has a long-term future at ferrari if he wants it and ferrari definitely want a long-term future with him so they're going to have to ride the waves together and given that all things on the other side of the garage are just going absolutely horrible and I think this is probably what <laughs> old Pat wanted me to um, address more so is what's going on with Sebastian Vettel so basically again another testy race for Seb um, he finished seventh though scored some points you know second best result of the year after P6 and Hungary but again you know he qualified outside the top 10 he was in the 11th they did change the chassis for him this weekend whether that was going to be you know because there was a genuine problem on the previous chassis that's what ferrari said that yeah you know they found a flaw or whether they just did it to as a placebo for, for vettel which you know sometimes teams do they're a bit cheeky that way um to to be cheeky with their drivers but um yeah look you know ended up qualifying 11th then there was a bit of confusion with the strategy as well so you know seb for ages was saying you know what are we going to do do we come in for a second stop blah 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 and then Basically, it was one of those instances where, you know, you send someone a message, and I'm pretty sure there was a meme about this on Reddit, on Formula Dank. Um, you know, you send someone a message, they don't read it, or they read it, and then they uh, um, <laughs> reply to you asking asking you the same question without, you know, acknowledgement. And, you know, then the frustration came out in Vettel, like, what the, you know, um, that's what I asked you, like, 10 laps ago or whatever and they're like you know there was no remorse on the ferrari side either so it's just it's yeah you know one of those really messy divorces that's just going to end really bad and 
all the suggestion as well now that he might actually, or they might actually call time on this relationship midway through the season. Um, personally, I don't see that happening. I think, you know, Seb's a, not the kind of guy who would um, not honour that, you know, yeah, like Seb honouring uh, an agreement, uh, multi-21, you know, you could go into that. But, you know, a written contract or whatever, I don't think Seb is the kind of person to, to go back on that. He wants to, I guess... He'd probably want to see out the season if he could, but just the lack of motivation from both sides is just so, it's so depressing to look at, you know, when you look at Leclerc and look at how hard he's trying, it's not that Seb doesn't want to try, it's just the fact that it's all been taken out of him, you know, all, you know, since 2015, five, you know, six years of trying for this team and nothing has eventuated, and again, both both sides of the party have have made mistakes and everything and we've we've documented them time and time again on this podcast everyone's talked about it everywhere you know but yeah you know you kind of just wish that we can get to the end of the year so it can all be over you know and um find out what's happening with seb next and by all accounts i think there might be an announcement at spa um next weekend for his uh employment at Racing Point or Aston Martin as it will be next year so we'll just see what happens and hopefully if you know that is the case and you know most likely it will be we see a a bit of spark come back into Seb you know we want to see him as he was when he first came to Ferrari you know like a little kid all wide-eyed and doe you know doughy-eyed and everything you know was you know his dream to be at Ferrari and everything it's just and it's just so sad when you look at the end of this tenure that you know by the end of the by the end of the dream, it just, it's all sucked out of him, you know, that passion and that enthusiasm from, from 2015, it's all gone, so yeah, basically party's over, but still seventh, I guess, you know, some points in the bag for him, neither of them looked satisfied at the end of the day, I guess when a reporter came up to Seb and said, oh, you won driver of the day, um, from the fans, and you know, then his face lit up, because I think, yeah, he did drive a, a pretty good race, but you know, ahead of him, you know, Hamilton did well, Verstappen did well too, so, and yeah, you know, Hamilton very rarely gets, you know, driver of the day, I guess that's probably because people think, you know, he, he wins everything anyway, so why should he win driver of the day? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't even vote in that thing anyway, but I wouldn't, you know, I should probably start doing it at the end of po- every podcast after a race, but you know, more important things to talk about, I guess, you know, spread the love equally, and if I, if I do want to beat up on someone, you, you'll, you'll notice anyway, if I pay, um, pay particular attention to them during, during the recordings, so, yeah, at this time, I think I, who have I beaten up more on this race, Bottas, probably, which is sad, because I like Bottas, I want him to do well, but, um, he's not really giving us a lot of good things to talk about at the moment, so, sorry there, Valtteri, and, yeah, probably Ferrari and Red Bull strategists, too, so other highlights from the race then well apart from Renault struggling I've already mentioned that um we saw Roman Grosjean and Kimi Raikkonen have a bit of a moment nice to hear a bit of uh, the old Kimster on the on the team radio and it was funny um you know over the weekend talking to talking to another mate about Kimi Raikkonen (laughs) and some of his antics over the past and you know we ended up um sharing some videos of him doing karaoke and all sorts and um the him a video of him <laughs> absolutely trashed at the uh at the FIA gala a couple of years ago <laughs> came up and it was just you know him sitting there with a cigar and you know vodka and all that it was it was just great you know we we miss seeing that and seeing Kimmy like that um all the talk I guess about him potentially this being his last year and everything I guess you know a lot of people have really uh taken a bit of a dump on him given that he's you know finishing last and he's at the back of the grid you know he's with Alfa Romeo and all that but it's still Kimi Raikkonen how could you not like Kimi Raikkonen you know I'll love him wherever he whether he's first or last you know he's just he's when you look at his career and what he's achieved the the cult personality that he's become you know those kind of characters live with you forever regardless of um where they finish and what their performance are you know you don't want to be someone who just jumps on the bandwagon when when he's relevant and then when he's in an Alfa Romeo finishing at the back of the grid um forget about him because yeah where it shouldn't be like that if you're a fan of if you're a fan 
or something you know it's got to be a genuine reason for you to for you to jump off um not be there just for the good days but you know be there for the bad days too and i don't think personally kimmy gives one hoot you know he says it's his hobby he loves doing it um and he's the kind of guy if he wasn't motivated he could easily walk away from it um so you know and you saw that through those tough years at ferrari when he came back in 2014 and took him basically till his you know third last race with with ferrari in 2018 to actually win you know first win since um australia 2013 which you know great race i gotta say <laughs> love it um got the photos still of the podium and everything and the kimster up there so yeah you know it's you don't jump off those hype trains ever i th- that's my opinion you know i know a lot of people are different and you know this how things are at the moment um won't go too much into that but yeah you know big big fan of Kimi Raikkonen so wrapping things up I guess then um and they, they, those guys you know they finished well outside the points you know not much to report otherwise then but um some brief thoughts after the first six races well basically said it right throughout so far that it's it's all pretty much in Lewis Hamilton's court at the moment you know it's he's He's the only one who can kind of defeat himself at the moment, given how good the car is as well. I don't think the car's going to fail on him. You know, it's it's all going to be Hamilton to to ruin it for himself. And he has been in, you know, since, I guess, 2017 or since after Nico Rosberg left and then the next couple of championships he's won. He's just been the you know he's been the epitome of consistency. He's not really made mistakes. Um, you don't see him getting flustered or angry or you know losing his cool like you know he complains a bit about tires but that's a different story but it's not the Hamilton of old which is great to see um back you know when you know it kind of frustrated me a bit as well you know Hamilton being upset about this Hamilton being upset about that I think he's really you know turned into that hardened world champion and just the epitome of consistency again you know that that could be a title for another time so Really hard to see him uh, give this one up. Um, it's all in his court. If he makes a mistake, that's when you know the others have got to capitalise. But then again, the others could be doing more. You look at you know pace as well this year in comparison to Red Bull, for example, and then Ferrari. That's another another case. Um, they've dropped behind Mercedes too, so it's up to the individual teams to to pick up the slack and everything. And I don't know if that's going to be easy given the the restrictions on development and everything. So. You know, yeah, it's locked away, I guess. Hopefully not. I, we've got so many more races to go. We've got some exciting new races coming up too, and um, one more set to be confirmed soon, hopefully. Um, an old favourite, I'm sure people will remember a few classics at this venue at Istanbul Park in Turkey, so that's going to possibly come back and be um, put in conjunction with a couple of races in Bahrain you know using two different layouts they'll use the outer loop and the normal layout as well and then of course Abu Dhabi to finish off the season as always in November so um, four more races to be added to the calendar be good you know gets up that gets us up to that target of you know um, 16 races 17 I don't know I don't have the calendar in front of me but um, you know getting venues like Turkey back you know we're going to Portimao we're going to Imola Mugello Nürburgring as well I look forward to that one too so you know going to be really exciting um, this next part of the season that we're heading into so basically that's that um, speaking of records as well we got this um, press release last night about uh, this new thing that F1's been working on with um, Amazon Web Services AWS so they've you know come up with an algorithm and you know put together everything into a computer to figure out who is the fastest F1 driver since 1983 so basically over the last 40 years and no surprises you know and the way the algorithm works it takes you know qualifying pace and um teammate battle statistics and all that sort of mumbo jumbo into account you know I, I mean i'm trying to work it out myself it's not mumbo jumbo but um be sure to give it a look it's on the web f1 website anyway and um they've come up with a list of 20 drivers you know and um basically it's like a a qualifying timesheet. so you know you're you're fastest drivers you could say on pole position and then they give you the time delta or the interval between him and the next driver so no surprise to see it in center as number one um i guess you know he was 
really fast when it came to qualifying. He had, you know, had the qualifying record for ages before Schumacher came along and broke it. Then um, Lewis Hamilton did. So our top five in that list, um, as it stands, Senna, then Schumacher with a um, 0.114 second delta. Then you got Lewis Hamilton up there in third, 0.275. Max Verstappen, you know, in his young career so far, he's up in fourth, you know, so fourth fastest driver of all time. And, you know, Verstappen hasn't had that many pole positions as well in his career. So this is, you know, a very interesting, um, you know, the way that the algorithm calculates it, you know, despite that, you know, just data relevant to teammates as well in qualifying too. So he's in fourth, you know, 0.28 off, um, then Fernando Alonso, you know, three tenths off in fifth. And then when you look at the rest of the list, you know, you got names like Nico Rosberg, Sebastian Vettel down in 10th, you know, Daniel Ricciardo, Jensen Button is in there, 17th. Kubitz uh, 18th and then Alan Prost down in 20th but you know one of the names or two of the names that really sprung a surprise I guess for a few people was Heike Kovalainen in 8th um, total of 3.378 seconds off and Jano truly in 9th 0.4 um, or 4 tenths of a second off the um, the pace setter and Senna you know those they've been you know they've been around in F1 for a bit or when they were still driving or Yano truly in particular so you know they've they were quick you know I mean the the algorithm and the stats don't lie you know something about them was quick even though you know they their results didn't always translate to it and you know Kovalainen's um interesting time at McLaren in in 2008 2009 um didn't really yield the results that they wanted but um you know I guess the math doesn't lie and you know John Carlo Fisichella as well we, well we knew he was quick you know when he was back at uh, Renault um in the mid 2000s with Fernando Alonso so he's on the list too but um do check it out guys if you if you're really into that sort of stuff and quickly as well we had this news come out earlier um today that all the teams have now all 10 teams have signed the new Concord agreement that will come into effect next year so there was a bit of a um a bit of a stall I guess with Mercedes not putting pen to paper and a few other teams and last night we found out that McLaren and Ferrari had done so Williams as well but um, now all the teams have come over and signed so you know there, there was a deadline I think for you know the incentive was that if you sign by the early deadline you'll get a bit of a financial boost as a result so now all 10 teams have uh, come to an agreement and put pen to paper for the new Concord which is which is really good news you know um, it speaks volumes of where F1 is at the moment you know with Liberty Media as well I think you know they're going in the right direction despite all the negativity around it at the moment about you know the quality of the racing and how Mercedes is winning everything I think you know as I've said quite a few times I think it will take quite a few years to undo the damage of the past you know past ownership previous ownership you know CVC and uh, Bernie Eccleston so you know I guess signing that new Concord agreement which has been written out entirely by Liberty Media and you know with the FIA I think, you know, we're, we're down, going down the positive and the right track. So we look forward to see what is to come in the future for the sport. Oh, wow, we're already like 40 minutes into this and still got a bit to talk about. Well, let's press on anyway. Supercars, then the Darwin Triple Crown. So start of the first, um, well, start of four straight weekends. Um, let me correct myself there. So four straight weekends of supercar racing. Yay. <laughs> there goes my my days on the Saturday, Sunday, because, you know, it's all here in Australia and it's only like half an hour behind um, Australian Eastern Standard Time, which I operate on. So, you know, it's, it's you know, in the afternoon, which is great. <laughs> Luckily, the way, weather is meant to be really bad this weekend. I think I said that last weekend as well before when I did the podcast. And it ended up being a really nice weekend. It was it was sunny, it was pleasant, and everything. And I kind of felt guilty about not spending enough time outdoors, or you know, within the the restrictions that we have at the moment. Like, not that I would go anywhere far from home. I would just probably hang out in my yard, you know, put the deck chair out, take the laptop out there, do a bit of work and everything, um, typing up all the stuff for, for the weekend for the motorsport. But, um, yeah, this weekend, well, we already had a bit of hail <laughs> pelt down today. So, yeah, might not feel as guilty um, this weekend if it is to rain. So, you know, 
good to see as well, I guess, you know, given all the criticism that we had about the tyre rules after the second Sydney Motorsport Park round, that it didn't really have as big as an impact as it did at Sydney Motorsport Park, and part of me thought that anyway, given that it's basically a different track, different layout, different conditions, and most of the drivers, you know, just may do with the soft tyres, um, and didn't really have to rely too much on the on the allowance of hard tyres that they had, but um, yeah, qualifying for, for Saturday's race, they had to use the hard tyre even in the top 15 shootout, but we had a bit of a cracking race, you know, Anton Di Pasquale, maiden win for him, it's been a long time coming, I guess, for Anton, and also for Erebus Motorsport too, you know, it's been last year they didn't win a race, so going back to Newcastle, 2018 was the last time that they won a race, um, so, you know, breaking a year-long drought for those guys too so that was good to see um but just a lot of chaos in that race so we had you know very little chaos and you know i think we had no safety cars during the two sydney super sprints that we've had um in the last couple of months so we had you know two safety cars in this race um first lap incident between shane van gisen shane van gisbergen ended up tagging nick perkout which took him out of the race and perkout as a result went and hit his teammate todd hazelwood so and Toddy ended up in, in P18 as a result, escorted off the track by Perkat, um, and Perkat, his day was done, he was pretty salty about it afterwards as well, and you know, you can see the interview that he had with the uh, Fox crew and what he said about Shane, because Perkat's not the kind of guy who um, minces words, and I think it was here a few years ago where he called Jamie Wincup a tool as well, <laughs> so I'd guess Darwin doesn't really, you know, Darwin hasn't really been kind to, to, to the old Nick Perkat, but um you know, two wins for him under his belt this year. He would have been hoping for a better weekend, certainly in in at the Triple Crown. And for Brad Jones Racing in general, oh, you know, Mac- Macaulay Jones having a crash as well on lap 24. That went all by himself too. So, a bit of a damage um, damage bill for for Bradley there to to sort out on at the end of the first day. But they had all the cars. Um, done up and ready for the next day of racing so that was good to see we also had jake kostecki unfortunately ko'd by rick kelly um so rick kelly ends up on the grass with um jack lebrock and then you know when kelly rejoins the track ended up um punting off kostecki too so penalties started coming thick and fast after all this so shane van git shane van gisbergen ended up with a um drive-through penalty for you know uh, avoiding or not avoiding or sorry for causing unavoidable contact, same thing for Rick Kelly as well, um, then Jamie Wincup ended up with a 15 second penalty, he was in contention for the win there, um, ended up with a 15 second penalty for an unsafe release, he hit Anton actually, sorry, he actually hit Anton Di Pasquale in the pits, um, and Anton still went on to win the race, but, you know, 15 seconds for, for Jamie there, not good, and great effort from Triple Eight and the Red Bull team as well, because, Wincup ended up crashing in practice and there was a bit of damage on that car so for them to turn around the car ahead of um, qualifying in the top 15 shootout ended up qualifying second on the grid in the shootout it was really good to see so again seven time champion greatest of all time he uh, you know just gets the job done and he's got a good team behind him there too so yeah and then 15 second penalty also to Scott McLaughlin you don't see the champ make too many mistakes, and um, this was a bit of a rookie error, you know, safety car infringement at the restart, he ended up passing James Courtney, coming out of the final corner, went on the gas a bit too early, and then ended up getting passed, even though they hadn't actually restarted the race or gone past the control line. So basically all three of your championship contenders as they stand or maybe just two at this stage between McLaughlin and Wincup ended up with penalties and finishing, you know, outside the top 15. So I think Wincup was down in 17th, uh, McLaughlin in 20th. So not scoring a lot of points there, but, you know, the points stayed pretty nip and tuck all weekend between the two. But um, yeah, maiden win for Anton, you know, big raps on this guy. Obviously went off to Europe um, to do single-seater racing. You know, he was on the free of you know getting into something like you know to formula 3 i think or gp3 back in the day but didn't all work out for him due to budget and everything ended up coming back to australia um and is kind of forging himself a really successful supercars career so use 
you know, two sets of soft tyres um, or, you know, started on soft and then went on to soft um, in the one and only pit stop to win. Finished ahead of James Courtney, who was on the podium first time for his new team at Tickford. That car's been quick all year and Courtney finally getting, you know, the grips of it, only having come in for um, Sydney Motorsport Park. And then Scott Pye on the podium for Team 18, their first podium in supercars. You know, Team 18 has been around for a couple of years now, um, Charlie Schwerkolt going back to I think 2017 um, or 2016 I think he went independent you know was there with Lee Holdsworth for a couple of years and then Lee decided to part ways and then Mark Winterbottom came on board last year and basically you know turned around the um, the team's fortunes you know high you know being a bit more closer to triple eight and everything and you know Winterbottom I guess I was a bit disappointed that he wasn't the one to bring the first podium for for the team but Scott Pye drove an excellent race I do love Scotty Pye great drive a great bloke um, finished in third and then winter winter bottom sorry in fourth so he wasn't too far behind and then some other standout results from that race too Chris Bither for Team Sydney P5 you know I think um, no one expected that coming into the weekend and then Fabian Coulthard the best placed um, Shell V power car in sixth and, and Chas Mostert too you know to go from having a busted tail shaft in qualifying Oh, sorry, in practice, I think, and to qualify only 20th on the grid um, and raced all the way up to P7, that was a, it was a good result for him as well in that one. Then we move over to the Sunday races, race 14 and 15. And before that, Scott McLaughlin ends up sweeping the weekend's pole positions, had three poles over the weekend, um, was kind of on the back foot in race 14 which was the first one on Sunday because his teammate Fabian Coulthard got a better start um, and then basically when it came to the pit stops that were that's where it all went awry for Fabs um, he actually would have come out ahead of Scotty you know so Scotty had pitted a lap after Fabs Fabs got the undercut and they were racing into turn one together Fabian ended up overshooting turn one and as a result lost not only a chance to lead the race but also second because Jamie Wincup was right behind and ended up um, getting that position so Fabian making his own mistake there and um, came back to bite him pretty badly you got to say because he was uh, top of the round points so the way the triple crown was handed out this year was the um, whoever won the round as far as accumulating the most points was concerned I know that's a bit of bit contentious and most people are like it's not the same because Scotty won it the right way last year which you know was you you're fastest in the shootout and then you win both races as well and that that was when there were two 200 kilometer races across the both days um but you know they've got a you know it's the title of the the event you know and they've got to come up with a way of handing the trophy out so it was the um uh win win the round as far as points is concerned you know I don't agree with it but it's there so deal with it <laughs> um so yeah Fab's basically just made a hash of it and you know it was a bit dicey for him in the next race as well when in the pit stops um win cup almost getting another unsafe release but um you know Fab slammed on the brakes and uh said that you know there's a witness mark on my front guard you know and you know we did touch a little bit but the stewards ruled that you know that was not the case cleared Jamie Wincup of uh, unsafe release and that put Fabian back behind Chas Mostert in that um, second race on the Sunday while Wincup was able to cruise for the victory and also basically how it all ended up was that they tied on points so both on 288 points for the weekend but on the count back of the win for win cup ended up being the triple crown victor so you know fab's obviously furious because of the pit lane incident but at the same time you can trace his woes back to the earlier race on the sunday where he um made the mistake going into turn one because otherwise it could have been his race to win that day and um you know i won't say that he could have tried passing Mostert in the second race on Sunday I know there was a bit of difficulties there and you know tyres and everything as well but that opportunity was there for him on the um, first race on Sunday so yeah he'll be disappointed not being able to win the round but it was nice to see him up there he was um, probably the most consistent weekend he's had as far as being further up the order but again we want to see more from Fabian especially when they're fighting for that team's championship as well with with Red Bull and for Jamie Wincup I guess the the championship gap 
cut by six points, I think, overall. So they came into the weekend 107 points between Scott McLaughlin and Jamie Wincup, and then they exited the weekend with only 101 points between them. And given all the uncertainty as well about, you know, how long the calendar is going to be and what's going to happen, I mean, we know that we're going for another weekend in Darwin this week. So same format except for... We're not going to have hard tyres. We're going to have just five sets of soft tyres for everyone. Um, three races again. Then back-to-back weekends in Townsville. Um, potentially back-to-back weekends in at Queensland Raceway as well. If given the new restrictions that have come to light in New South Wales, banning um, any motorsport events happening at the moment. And those restrictions will not be lifted till, I think couple of weeks into October which puts the Bathurst 1000 into jeopardy but you know supercars has already come up with a contingency for that and we believe that um they will basically just delay the Bathurst 1000 by a week so it's due to take place on the 11th of October basically they'll just delay it a week so it's on the 18th of October um to allow to you know basically to accommodate the teams with transit and quarantine and all the restrictions that are currently in place at the moment so again you know hats off to supercars the way that they're handling this at the moment it's not easy for anyone living you know particularly on this east coast of Australia with so many places and you know all the states having varying level of restrictions and everything and you know as I've said before on this podcast that here in Melbourne uh, Metro Melbourne we're in stage four at the moment which is you know the highest we've seen here um, and you know for all those teams and drivers who are on the road you know they've been away for more than a month now from their families you know and they're they're the ones who putting the hard yards, doing the hard work to basically make sure we've got, you know, something to watch on the weekends, you know, some racing to, to enjoy and um, revel and marvel and, and all that sort of stuff. So so good on them. And also a bit of news about Bathurst as well. Uh, Repco signing on as the uh, multi-year or a multi-year deal to be the um, name and right sponsor for the Bathurst 1000. So as far as I've been watching supercars and Bathurst going back into the early, you know, mid-2000s, it's always been the super cheap auto Bathurst 1000. So I think, that, you know, that's going to be different, be a bit different switching over to Repco next year. But, um, you know, they've got that secured. More news, I guess, around, you know, Gen 3 as well. Hopefully we'll get some concrete stuff on that in the future and you know Walkinshaw basically coming out and saying that you know they've been in talks with new manufacturers already about Gen 3 for 2022 um due to like the pandemic and everything happening and Gen 2 being Gen 3 being delayed and everything um they had to you know the negotiations broke down with BMW apparently so they were close to getting BMW into supercars which have been good given Mostert's links there with the um, GT program and doing IMSA there in the BMW and then of course um, Michael Andretti I was going to say Marco Andretti but we'll get to him a bit later Um, Mario, not Mario, Michael goodness, you know, it doesn't help when they've all got their first name as M and surname as Andretti so Michael Andretti of course, part of Walkinshaw Andretti United, his team in Formula E is also the factory BMW team as well so some links there but you know hopefully they could figure something out maybe to get BMW in, that would be good and news too that um, General Motors as well was uh, you know, basically come out with the Walkinshaw group and said, you know, we're going to turn HSV into GMSV, so GM Special Vehicles. They're going to bring the Corvette to um, Aussie showrooms as well, which will be exciting to see. So exciting times for Walkinshaw and for supercars ahead. And yeah, I guess next week um, I'll have all the fallout from this coming weekend's Darwin Super Sprint, not the Triple Crown. So, moving it on, um, talk about all the other exciting motorsport action we had over the last week, over the last weekend. So, we'll go with Formula E first, just to quickly wrap up the um, the races that they had in Berlin. So, since the, the last podcast I did, there was only one race left, um, and that final race was won by Mercedes, 1-2 finish for Stoffel Van Dorn and Nick de Vries, first win for Stoffel Van Dorn, and, you know, it's, I don't know if it's a secret or if it's a well-known fact that I'm a big fan of Stoffel Van Dorn, you know, had nothing but praise for him when he made it into F1, and it was a bit sad when, you know, the way that it had to come to an end with, you know, all the 
nasty stuff going on there at McLaren, but, you know, Stoffel, new lease of life there at Mercedes in Formula E, and they're going to be contenders next year, I hope, so, um, you know, to win this final race, um, and finish P2 overall in the championship too, amazing, so, and then for Nick DeVries as well, you know, great lad, was the F2 champion last year, and gets his first podium in this final race there, I think, you know, Mercedes have really... I guess over overachieved, you could say, you know, beyond expectations. We didn't think that they would be this great or to win a race in their first year. You know, Porsche certainly as well, I guess, overachieved in the fact that they finished on the podium a couple of times. But, um, yeah, for, for Mercedes, good on them for getting the win. IndyCar as well, Indy 500 this weekend. Not that I'll be able to watch it live, given I think it starts at 2 a.m. Monday morning. I've got work to go to 6, I've got to wake up at 6.30, so, and I'm relishing the fact that I don't have to stay up all night for the F1 on Sunday, so I'm going to need that sleep, <laughs> um, I might just watch it, well, I will watch it on replay, hopefully, but, you know, it'd be hard to not, you know, have the results spoiled for you all day, you know, even if you avoid social media, I'm sure someone will send me through a text and say, oh, Fernando Alonso won the Indy 500, well, it's going to be a bit of a tough task for him from 26th on the grid, but, um, um, you know, I'm sure if all things go well, it would be good for him. And interesting to note too, like, you know, when you look at the results of the Fast 9 qualifying, you know, great qualifying for the Honda-powered cars. Um, but, you know, the Chevys had it tough. You know, Penske, um, Penske having it really bad uh, through qualifying, you know, given that Roger Penske now owns the circuit and the category you know he owns both and his cars didn't really put on a good good show I think um best place car for him was Joseph Newgarden in um in 13th and then you go down the order to find the other guys willpower I'm just trying to get the results up here I didn't put them up in front of me earlier on I totally forgot about this bit so yeah just bear with me for a second you know this is why you know keep I keep things keep things real you know keep them raw <laughs> no no cookie cutter or you know fancy post-production and that sort of stuff as much as I like a bit of post-production I don't get too fancy with it right here we go <laughs> um yeah Joseph Newgarden having a tough down there in 13th but it wasn't as bad as his teammates because you had guys like um Elio Castroneves who obviously does the indie races all the time he's down in 28th he was the worst of the Penske guys Simon Paginow the reigning Indy 500 champion in 25th and then Will Power in 22nd so not the greatest results for them and then other notable um names you know Fernando Alonso already said 26th uh Tony Kanaan you know in his final year of IndyCar racing 23rd uh where's Alexander Rossi my one of my favorites um he was third sorry no no he wasn't third idiot that was just in the uh in the pre-qualifying he was ninth in the fast nine and then yeah scott dixon up in second marco andretti on pole position and this is where i was getting confused about which andretti am i talking about here <laughs> no disrespect to the andretti family they're amazing and you know their cars are up there in the in the top eight top nine top eight <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is what coffee does to me you know 10 to 9 um in the evening getting a bit loopy but anyway yeah look forward to the indy 500 and quickly with moto gp too i wanted to give a bit more time to moto gp but given that i'm already running over an hour on this podcast i don't want to go too too far into it but um you look at uh the big talking point over the weekend before those horror crashes that we had, um, Davizioso splitting with Ducati and ends up winning the Austrian Grand Prix too. So basically a loveless marriage is how you can um, summarise those two. You know, it wasn't all about money in the end as it was being suggested and everything and whatnot. But um, it's really sad given that Davizioso has been the only rider since Casey Stoner really to... to win consistently aboard that Ducati to be in championship contention like he was a couple of years ago and again just Ducati struggling you know in in relation to the other teams and even though we don't have Mark Marquez on the grid at the moment because he's still out injured and he will not race the um the Styrian Grand Prix this weekend again in Austria 
you know, it's other teams like Yamaha who have stepped up, KTM have stepped up, Suzuki as well have stepped up, you know, Alex Rins was in contention before he crashed out over the weekend, Joan Mir finished on the podium for the first time in his career in MotoGP, so, you know, Ducati have the opportunity to take the World Championship this year, but then... It's their competition that seems to have stepped up and doing better. Jack Miller ended up P2, which was good. He led the race early on um, and had, I guess, you know, because the soft tyres that kind of faded away. But, you know, above Davizioso and everything, the biggest talking point was the couple of crashes that we had. So in Moto2, first of all, you know, between Anae Bastianini and Hafiz Siren, um, thankfully, thankfully both riders and all the riders involved in these incidents were okay. It just... You know, I didn't think that I would have two heart-stopping moments in the same evening, <laughs> and none of them were from the F1 race. Um, I shouldn't laugh about this, but um, yeah, it was just terrible siren hitting Bastianini's bike, um, basically coming at it full speed out of turn one, um, went flying, you know, he was fine, um, was conscious as well throughout the whole time, which is a good sign. And then in MotoGP, I mean, 2020 is bad enough imagine 2020 where you have someone like a valentino rossi or maverick vinales um tragically killed in a in a crazy accident you know i'm, I'm just saying that makes me feel very just yeah i just shudder at the thought of that and if you look at all the onboards and everything so um you had jan zarko and um, franco morbidelli on the way into turn three um, Zarco moves across to cover a braking or to change lines or to, you know, cover his braking against Morbidelli. Both tag each other and then just their bikes are going off into turn three, basically without pilots, fly across the track and millimetres from hitting Valentino Rossi and also Maverick Vinales. But, you know, when you look at the, um, today I saw the onboard from Rossi's perspective and just to see that, you know, that first bike fly past and how close it was to him and then the second bike too i mean when they red flagged the race and rossi was in the garage um and they had the camera on him you know he just looked like he had seen a ghost he just looked so pale and you know all the people saying that god you know somebody was looking after him that day you know marco simoncelli potentially was looking after him and you know always think about Marco when you when you think about things like that and um when you think about MotoGP because yeah you know watching watching what happened to Marco you know watching it live back in 2011 when it happened you don't want to watch something like that again and you know that just yeah you can't get those images out of your head basically you know and even though it's on tv it's yeah blah 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 it's you know not people you know personally but you know when you see something like that something like that bad happen to someone live it's it's not a good feeling and yeah you know um those images of marco still sit very f well with me and um don't want to see anything like that again in motor gp not at least to someone like valentino rossi because that would just be that would just be cruel 2020 would be just so cruel if that ever happened but um thankfully everyone's okay um we had a cracking race anyway in typical motor gp fashion don't know about whether Johan Zarco will race this weekend. He's apparently had to take surgery on a scaphoid that's been injured as a result of the crash. Um, thankfully, Franco Morbidelli was fine as well, um, although he was fairly critical of Zarco, saying that he's a bit of a half-killer with the way he made that move. But um, I thankfully, everyone's fine, and uh, we'll all learn from this and move on. Anyway, that wraps it up. Probably the longest show I've done this year. Probably the longest one I'll do till the end of the year when we do the reviews usually. But um, had a lot to talk about, I guess. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice to take the weekend off from Formula One. Still watch the supercars. So I'll sum that up for you next week and then also preview the uh, Belgian Grand Prix. Until then, though, guys, stay safe, stay positive, and uh, have a good weekend. <laughs>